Welcome to the Crushing Cashflow Podcast, where we share phenomenal advice and dozens of decades of wisdom from investors and entrepreneurs of all types and all stages of their journeys. We'll cover many forms of cash flowing assets, such as real estate, stock investing, entrepreneurship, and general finance guidance. Listen in and learn from those who are crushing it out there, as well as those who have been crushed by business or their investments. Now, here's your host, Andrew Shutsky. Welcome back to Crushing Cashflow. Again, with me today, my buddy, Anthony Khan. Anthony, how you doing, man? Doing great. How are you, Andrew? Fantastic. Fantastic. So I'll give a really quick intro on Anthony. Anthony's actually a local Pennsylvania guy to me, which is great. Usually we get a lot of people from the Southeast and really jealous of, of their location, but it's nice to have someone to commiserate in the winter with me. So that's great. <laughs> so Anthony's a project manager, you know, working W2 guy, entrepreneur, real estate pro. I guess we could call him a mogul these days. So Anthony, I don't want to steal your thunder. Tell us about yourself and your background. Yeah, I've been doing project management since 2006, 2007. So quite some time now, I went and did my PMP, which is like your project management professional. And I went that route after working. So started in a few different industries. And I guess the biotech clinical world for pharma was where I started and spent about almost 10 years and then switching out into financial industries, telecom. And now I've been working as a program manager and project manager in healthcare. So yeah, that's been my path. But I got to say the project management has helped me really with the asset management and just managing properties overall. And, you know, when you're a project manager, you're looking at timelines, you're looking at budget on a constant basis. You know, you want to make sure your projects are on track and in budget. And that's so important for your properties too. So it was very transferable. And as I have been in the industry more and more, I didn't start investing in real estate until 2009. When we got our first home in Philadelphia and, you know, that was a fixer upper renting out to friends and while I was living there and fixing it up and then eventually getting married and having to kick out my friends. <laughs> I, I get it. I can relate to that. I can relate so to that. There, there goes my tenants and my rent. <laughs> exactly. So we had to go and invest in some other properties after that. So yeah. 2009 first, I'll call it, you know, house hack, whatever you want to call it from yep. there. Here we are in 2022. You're doing the larger multifamily stuff. What happened in between? Right. And actually what made me very interested in the real estate side was the 2007-2008 crash that happened with the Ponzi schemes and the house and market crash. My dad, he was a radiologist and he was retiring at that time due to medical issues and everything. So he had to retire. And then we find out the hedge fund where he's been putting most of his savings. He didn't have passive income. He basically had you know W-2 income working as a doctor and savings. He, so he saved very well, was very frugal and did a good job at that. And he lost about 70% of his savings to a hedge fund in the Ponzi scheme. And that woke me up to make me understand the power of passive income. Because if I just did the same thing and I worked hard and saved for 30 years, like my dad did, to have all my money just taken away in one like full swoop like that, that was very disheartening and, and, and shocking to see. And it, he almost had a heart attack. <laughs> Yeah, when all this stuff happened, and it created a lot of issues, and it was many years, and he didn't even see maybe less than ten percent back overall after they started acquiring the assets over a seven-year period, and it, it was a mess. But you know, I was young, and my sisters also were in the same hedge fund, and you know, so we all lost money, but we obviously were just getting started with working, so <laughs> it wasn't as big of a hit for us to lose lose our savings. That's how real estate came into the picture, because if you take everything away from me, I still have steady income whether I'm working or not. And that was so powerful to know. And that's, yeah, pushed us in that direction. 
And there's a lot to be said for, you know, not only knowing what you're buying, like if you buy into a hedge fund, mutual fund, whatever, it's kind of like you're leaving to someone else's trust. There's a lot to be said for not only knowing what you're buying and it's something tangible, but being in control of that, whether you're a passive yep. investor or an active partner, it's a small group. You can touch it. You can feel it. You cut, there's something tangible about it, right? Yeah, definitely. And it wasn't until 2014 that I actually purchased my next rental for investing purposes. And, you know, I was looking for about a year and the person I was looking with, we had like some four to six unit apartment buildings we we're looking at. And then he ended up getting a promotion with Panera and, and shifting out to the Midwest. <laughs> so then this was something like you were asking, how do you go from one house yeah. to the 50 unit, which is what we're closing on next week or in a few weeks. But I was scared to do a deal on my own because I didn't know enough. And there's so many issues that you could have. I mean, you go through your first inspection on a house and you're looking at this report most of it is really minor stuff. Yeah. But when you're looking at it for your first time, you're like, oh my gosh, is this house going to catch fire and burn down or something? Or exactly. you, know, you really, you're just kind of scared out of your wits until you get comfortable and more familiar with these things. So I partnered on my next deal with a friend, one of my fraternity brothers actually from college and Sigma Pi. <laughs> so yeah, that was a lot of fun. And then I learned a lot from that partnership. I more or less brought the capital and they were the manpower with the know-how. And eventually I just bought out my partner. So I had the house and eventually sold that just a few years ago. But from 2014, it took that long to acquire property because you know we really want to learn as much as possible. And I was learning in like bigger pockets podcasts, you know, like podcasts like this, right? Yeah. There's a lot of information out there. And if you're hungry, you're going to find it. And then you're going to meet more people, find investor meetups and that kind of stuff. And that's what yeah. I started doing back in like 2012, 2013. That's great. And not only that you're able to learn everything and learning is fantastic, but it doesn't always lead to action. In fact, most no, people get stuck in right. the analysis paralysis education phase. Like I said, it's always great, but unless you want to become a professor, <laughs> you actually got to take action. So you've done what a lot of people or majority of people have not done. You're about to close on a 50 unit, which is no small feat. How did you find that deal? How did you get the wheels turning and what did you overcome along the way? Right. And you know, how do you go from one unit to 50 units? Yeah. It takes time and you got to make yourself comfortable. And I've seen people just kind of jump into apartment buildings without knowing even the first thing about costs and what it really, you know, they're going to learn on someone else's dime then, or they have to have a really good partner that's going to lead them and guide them. And I don't feel comfortable doing that on other people's money. So getting to that level, obviously investing, like, you know, initially we were using our own funds, but at some point, you have to start using other people's money Correct. and OPM, man. <laughs> other people's money. That's yeah. Exactly. And then, or figuring out other ways to strike a deal. And I did a partnership and started, well, we bought a single family, got a duplex, a triplex, kind of started scaling up like that. Another single family and just bought them and fixed them up and rented them out. And then, you know, six months later, got our cash back out and put that in the next deal. And we just mm -hmm. kept that cycle going and it became one house, two houses a year, three houses. And then it became a 12-unit apartment building. And, yeah. and, you know, we just kept growing from there. Cool. I partnered with a friend. Yeah, but the first house, I was just scared out of my mind. And, you know, it was a five-bedroom, three-and-a-half bath, two-car garage, fraternity kind of house is what we were doing to rent near the St. Joe's area. So okay. St. Joe's College. And that was too big of a property, I think, to undertake for your first deal. So after that, I ended up buying some three bedroom, one bathrooms that you convert to like one and a half. And it's like 1200 square feet, so much easier to fix and manage and really turn. So I'd highly recommend that for people that are kind of getting started. Start with a smaller home that's very easy to rent that, you know, just about everybody can go into a three bedroom house. But when you're talking about bigger properties, it's only a select few, certain number of groups. But then, you know, your margin is going to be different, but you also want to 
you don't want to have too much vacancy, right? You, you want to be able to handle the property should anything happen, right? Right. Because like you don't want to pay thirty, forty thousand dollars to replace a roof when a smaller home, like a row home, for instance, you're going to pay five grand or something. <laughs> yeah. With all these flat roofs, right? So it's like very big difference. Very true. Yeah. So in the smaller stuff, single family, duplexes, that kind of thing, you can go through a broker, or you can tour a bunch of properties. Mm-hmm. You know, especially today's day and age, it's a lot harder to find something like a fifty unit. How did you guys land that one? Yeah, and that was through just consistent persistency with buyers that I've dealt with before. So we actually bought a twenty-two unit from the same seller. Okay. So not buyers, sellers, the people that sold us a previous building. So I bought a twenty-two unit. I did a joint venture for that with five other people, friends and family, really. And from there, we created a very strong profit. We bought it for just like one point one million, roughly. It's well over two million now. So you know, and that's in three years. So. You know, being able to change the property that much, we've increased the NOI by almost $35,000. So pretty significant. Yeah. That's awesome. Actually, sorry. That was just a gross increasing by 35. And the the net was even bigger. Wow. That's really (laughs) impressive. It's yeah, very strong cash flow. We get double digit returns on our cash and the investors got half their cash back. By this summer, I should return three and a half years and they're going to have all their cash back and double digit returns going forward. That's fantastic. Congratulations. So that's a really strong one to keep. And this was the same seller that we had bought it from that I stayed in touch with over the years and kept kind of inquiring about this other building they had. It's a half mile away. And they said, okay, you know what? Fine, we'll sell it. (laughs) And it came up and they did a broker's opinion of value. And you know, they were looking for six million plus, but it was off market. So that's another tip though. If you're looking to do things off market. You got to really have those relationships in place and you have to be consistent in following up with people. How many attempts did it take to finally seal the deal? It was roughly two and a half years before they said yes. Oh, wow. (laughs) That's real persistence. They have an interest in it. It's a very big developer. They develop 30 plus properties a year, (laughs) like new projects building ground up. They have over 10,000 units. Well, so there's a lot, more, a lot more for you to pick from when you... Uh, yes, so exactly. Out. And they have a big portfolio of dispositions happening every year. So we're focused on the local market. Obviously, Texas, Florida, South Carolina, North Carolina, those have been hot markets like in Georgia, right? For yeah. quite a while. And I think every year they have cities in the top 10, top 15, like every year consistently. Yeah. But at the same time, you can always make money in your own backyard if you just find the right deals and structure it correctly. So... That's a great point. I want to dig into the structure piece yeah. that was actually on my mind is, you know, I had this 50 unit. Again, mm-hmm. a lot of people are listening, would love to be in your shoes. How did you take it from contract signing? What did the financing look like? How did you find yeah. capital partners for it? How did that work? Right. So this one we're purchasing a little bit over 5.7 million. And it's a 50 unit, beautiful townhomes that are, they look like class B. And it's an affordable housing building too, which is like shocking because you have washer dryers in every unit, dishwashers, all that stuff, all the nice. amenities, plenty, like two spots per unit minimum. <laughs> so it's really nicely done for parking and everything. This one, the way we structured, so this is a $1.8 million raise. And I knew I could raise roughly 1 million myself. And you know, I didn't want to push my limits. And also as you're scaling up, there's more work involved, right? Like <laughs> you're going to have additional people to deal with. And what I did was really, I've been working with a few folks over the past few years. I pulled in one, a friend who invested in another syndication together. I met him last year. His name is Dennis Shapiro. He runs his own capital raising group. And he's got a lot of strengths that I would say are not my biggest. So it was (laughs) a very 
very good partnership with him to pull in. And we're actually doing another deal together by the Jersey Shore for short-term rentals. <laughs> so, you know, just making these connections over time and you find out who you like working with, it will tell you the type of people you want to partner with that are going to really yeah. help build your business and move it forward because you, we all have different strengths, right, Andrew? And But we can't do everything. It's just, there's never enough time. Yeah, and, nor should you, right? I mean, yeah, not everybody's yeah. going to be excellent at you know acquisitions or finding deals or underwritings. And I, I like yep. the pro tip, I think I'll pull out of what you everything you just said is build a team around. You don't have to feel like you take it all yourself. And that's one common question I get is like, how the heck are you guys working a job right. and, and doing all this stuff? I'm like, you know what? Divide and conquer, focus on one thing really in a big way. And that's it. I mean, build a team around you. Yeah. Yeah. Like you, I'm also working that, that W2 job on a weekly basis. So that's yep. 40 plus hours gone right there. <laughs> Correct. Yeah, you're absolutely so, right. Yeah. So that does make it hard to focus on just your business. But we also brought in a third partner, which was a property manager I've been working with for a few years. And he's been fantastic. His name is John Suarez. And we're working together for over three years now. And he's got his own maintenance team. And so he can beat almost every bid that we ever have. So that improves their NOI like tremendously. Wow. And he's always staffing up on his side too, with just a very resourceful person. Yeah. So it's not, you got the team built, right? So that's where the magic yeah. happens. So you guys are really close to closing now. What would you say, you know, you've done quite a few smaller stuff, mm-hmm. you know, it's like mid-size with the 22 unit and now you got the 50 unit. What's been your biggest lesson learned from contract to the near closing for this one? Yep. So there's always delays. We're dealing with a Freddie loan. And <laughs> when you're dealing with, with the government, there's, there's always things that cause your timeline to slide. So sure. we, we actually, we did add an extra month into our timeline on the contract, but we were trying to close just really now. <laughs> but fortunately, we have the buffer in there because we were worried what's going to happen over the holiday break and the government kind of shuts down. And, you know, we were trying to schedule things out right before Christmas and we had a 26 day like lag period, business day lag period yeah. in order to get an appraisal done. So I still don't have it in my hands. And this was from December that we ordered it, <laughs> but so, at least it got done now. That, so but that's pro, the kind of delays. Pro tip, so. I guess I've shared in these as well, is when you do the contract, any good attorney will tell you this, but make sure you have these provisions built in so you mm-hmm. can do the extensions that's not so costly to yourself or the team. <laughs> very good. Yeah, very good point. And we did put an extension clause in there for paying up a little bit extra, but we negotiated those things up front. So we're not kind of stuck in the end where we're at the seller's mercy. Yeah. Well, yeah, definitely usually don't pull Good out, tip. but they might want 200 grand to extend for a week. And you're like, exactly. <laughs> yeah. And you want to definitely figure out these things ahead of time. And we have a really good lawyer that we've been working with on our contracts. And he brings all these things up, what he's seen in his previous deals that would could be a pain point for us. So we address them up front so we don't have to worry about them later. So, yeah, I guess in summary, your story is going to resonate with a lot of our listeners. Mm-hmm. You know, you're a working professional. You've gone very quickly from, let's say, the single and duplex space to 50 units in a very mm-hmm. short period of time. For those who want to reach out to you, learn more about yourself, your company, tell us how to get in contact with you. So it's my name is Anthony Kana, and our company is KWW Holdings. So you can reach me at kwwholdings at gmail.com. And that's probably the easiest way. So kwwholdings at gmail.com. We're revamping our website too. So, you know, that'll be up and running pretty soon. But yeah, like Andrew was saying, I mean, you just got to get started. You have to take action. (laughs) That's the biggest thing. And you're never going to be comfortable. So you have to just kind of push yourself and stretch yourself. 
And as you're doing that, just stretch yourself in the right direction of where you want to go. So as we went from one unit to two to six to 12 to commercial mixed use properties to 22 to 50, you know, we just kept stretching ourselves little by little. And for me, I'm comfortable to stretch at that limit. So our next deal that we're looking for is going to be a hundred plus unit. And I'll be talking to you about that, Andrew, when we find it. <laughs> let's, let's lock it in, man. I'm always ready. Yeah. Awesome. So that, that's a gross pad that I feel comfortable with. And, you know, everyone has their own pace, but that's how I learned. Love yeah. it, man. Thanks for sharing. And thanks so much for joining the show. Thanks for having me. Take care. Thanks for listening in with us for another episode of the Crushing Cashflow Podcast. We have a small favor to ask of all of our listeners. Please subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes. Each subscription and rating will help us massively toward our goal of helping reach as many listeners as possible each week. Thank you very much once again for listening. We're thrilled to have you with us as part of this journey, and we can't wait to share more of these stories with you. Stay tuned for much more to come.